You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, This Beautiful Church, Seeing and Being the People of God. In this series, we see the beauty of who we can be because of Christ. We'll learn God's plan for making us mature in Christ so that we become a beautiful church. Now hear the word of the Lord from Titus 1, 1 through 4. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Oh, y'all are on it. Okay. Well, good morning. Peace be with you. It is good to see you guys. My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Sojourn. Uh, our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel, build them up as his church, and send them into the world. Um, his church, meaning Jesus's church. I meant to say the gospel of Jesus. And uh, I, I feel like we're really good at the first two, or the, the the first and the end, one and three, uh, reach, build, send. Those are words that mean a lot to us. What do we mean, reach people with the gospel? A lot of people get that uh, if you've been at church for a while. Or send, we've got missionaries. The Live Sent class is happening in the next service. Uh, what does it mean to build people as the church? It's kind of a strange phrase. Are we, are we launching a building campaign? What's happening? Um, I'm curious. There's no way to answer this collectively, so it's just something to chew on. What comes to mind when you hear the word church? Maybe just sit with that for a second. When that word church hits you, what images come to mind? What feelings come to mind? What emotions? What memories? How does that compare to what you would have thought or heard when you thought about church two years ago? Or 20 years ago? How does it feel for those who are here to be in this room? For those at home, how are you feeling right now, thinking about church while you're at home? Some are grateful, some are nervous, some are happy, some still feel disconnected. Feels good and strange. What is the church? It's, just, it's an important question. If you've been listening or watching any of our uh, I don't know what you call them, ads. We don't pay for ads, but the marketing, the, the, the hype for our, our series on Titus, it's called This Beautiful Church. And maybe, that's, maybe that sounds strange to you. Uh, spoiler alert, we are currently sitting in a 100-year-old gymnasium or, or an 80-year-old gymnasium. I, I don't know. Maybe you're looking around and you're like, I mean, I would, we could call this a functional church. Would we call it a beautiful church? If, if all you think about for church is a building, uh, are we doing a cathedral campaign or something? It's, we could call this space a lot of things, is all I'm saying. Would we call it beautiful? Would we call it beautiful? What are we talking about? It's fine, but is it beautiful? It's a timely and it's an important question to answer. What is the church and what would make a church beautiful? How can a church become beautiful after nearly 18 months separated 
in pandemic? How can a church become beautiful when we've experienced so much division? How can church ever become beautiful if so many of us who remain still don't agree on everything? Do you learn that about anybody in your life this last year? You don't agree with them on everything. And yet, last week, as we finished the Gospel of Matthew, which we spent two and a, two and a half some years in, it ends with Jesus sending his people out to do something and to become something. That's the church. What is it? And what might make it beautiful? So Titus, the book of Titus, it's a letter written from the Apostle Paul to this young man, Titus. He was a young man seeking to bring order out of a mess. Uh, the Apostle Paul had preached the gospel um, particularly in the island of Crete in this instance, a lot of people came to faith and then he left. And he's writing this letter to his dear friend Titus. Next week we'll look at this, but Titus 1.5 says why he's writing this. To complete our work there and appoint elders in each town. So you have people who don't really understand what a life of discipleship means or what the church is. They're just excited about Jesus and need help learning how to live this life of faith. So now that conversions have happened, Paul is sending a letter to Titus, a pastor who was left there, to complete the work, uh, to set in order the things that remain. As we'll see, false teachers are in their midst, spreading lies. There's, they're in, the, the, the Christians here are in an incredibly divisive and foreign culture. Again, later in chapter 1, Paul will quote one of Crete's own prophets. So this, is, this would be like a celebrity voice on the island of Crete describing their culture. And listen to what they say, uh, verse 112, or chapter 1, verse 12. Paul is quoting somebody from Crete. The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. I don't want to steal all of the thunder here, but right after that, Paul says, and he's right. So this letter comes to people in hard circumstances, in a hard culture filled with hard people. Does any of that sound like another culture or place that you're, you're aware of right now? A divided culture, competing ideas, divisive people, anger, uncertainty, confusion. But God has given us his word so we can set things in order. We can learn what it means to see the church as the scriptures do and become the church the scriptures say we are. Verse one summarizes the heart of Titus for us. In some ways, this is the whole book of Titus. I have been sent, that's Paul, to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. In one simple sentence, Paul outlines the entire progression of following Jesus. If you want a life verse to help shape your walk with Jesus from now until he returns or you die, Titus 1.1 would probably be a good one for you. A, so, big picture, a beautiful church is one that recognizes that being a Christian is more than a decision, okay? Being a beautiful Christian or becoming a beautiful church is more than just making a decision. It's entering into a new way of life where we grow and develop over time. And now that begins with the message of faith to those God has chosen. That's where we begin. To faith, or a message of faith to those God has chosen. It, it, it may be helpful for you to think of faith as trust. Every one of you exercised faith this morning. You opened up 
a gallon of milk at home and poured it in a cereal bowl for your kids and you assumed it was milk, right? You trusted it was milk. I, I didn't see anybody look under the chair this morning to see who the manufacturer was of the chair you were going to sit on and, and Google the manufacturer and find out how reliable they are. You, you sat in it and you trusted that the chair would hold you. We exercise faith in all kinds of ways. When you, when you press the brake pedal in your car, you have faith that the car will actually slow down. We all exercise faith. The Christian life is, is no different. It begins with faith. It begins with trust and namely trusting God. Maybe you're in a theological bind right now because it says faith to those God has chosen. How do you trust, but isn't, did God choose me or did, did I choose him? And, you know, people have been wondering about this for about 2,000 years. And the simplest way, maybe you were just wrestling, how do you know if God has chosen you? That seems like a big question. Well, do you want to be chosen by God? Okay. If you said yes, if you said yes, then don't worry about it anymore. And if you said, no, not really, then who cares the answer to the question, right? Thanks for sticking around and see what the word of God might do to your heart and your ears and your soul. But that, that's kind of an easy one to get around. Do you want to be chosen? Do you want to trust God? Well, there you go. However you answered that is how you can resolve that passage. But if we want to, if we want to get a picture or, or move towards being a beautiful church, whatever that means, and we'll talk about what that means, but if we want to move towards that, it has to begin from a posture of trust. That's where Paul begins, to proclaim faith in God. So we begin with trust that starts with God and that moves to each other. We will never be beautiful. Your life won't be beautiful. This church won't be beautiful if it does not begin with a posture of trust, first with God and then one another. And so before moving forward on any of that, some of us need to take inventory. What's keeping us from trusting God today? See what that question does to you. What is keeping me from trusting God? Trusting his design, trusting his commands, trusting his invitation, maybe one of his attributes. Maybe after the last week or the last month, how do I trust God who lets something like this happen? What's keeping you from trusting God? What's keeping you skeptical? Then think about it horizontally. What's keeping you from trusting your brothers and sisters here? What's keeping you from trusting a pastor or a deacon or one of the ministry leaders? We we cannot be beautiful in our lives, in our church, in our relationships with cynicism, skepticism, or division. We have to address those things. We have to confront those things. We have to do whatever it takes for us to move forward with trust. So maybe just take a moment, whether it's vertically with you and the Lord or horizontally with the people in your life, and ask the Lord to speak to you. What's keeping me from trusting people What's keeping me from trusting you? Again, no relationship, whether with God or each other, moves forward if we don't start here. Trust, faith. From there, Paul says to proclaim faith to those God has chosen. And then he says, what is it that we proclaim? The truth. Can you put that verse back up? Ha! Ah. Yeah. To teach them, what's the word between no and truth? The, whoever said that right here got it quick, the truth. He doesn't say to teach them a truth or a version of the truth. This is the truth, capital T truth. We're surrounded by little t truths. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Have you heard? <laughs> I think this phrase is so funny. Well, this is my truth. You heard that? The, the, that's not really how truth works. It's true or it's not true. And, and Paul is saying, I want you to have faith 
and to know the truth, the capital T truth. So if we trust God with the capital T truths, we can learn to hold disagreements with each other more loosely. If we hold together on the capital T truths, we can learn how to hold the disagreements around the little t truths. Now, as as we'll see for Paul, this chiefly means the good news of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and our destiny to be with him forever. But the main point here is that a church is beautiful when it trusts God and it receives his truth. God gets to decide what's true, amen? I was so I was so mad last week. Jarvis got you guys all amen and so fast. And I've been trying for, I told him after the service, I was like, that was a fine sermon, but you got everybody amen and more in five minutes than I've been trying to get you guys going for five years. I don't know how he did it. All he said was, you can talk back. And everybody was like, okay. And y'all started talking back. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. It's fine, I done bottom. Thank you. Whoever that was, thank you. God gets to decide what's true. And if we trust him, we'll receive it. My, they, thanks. We'll receive it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll like it or that it will be pleasant. But if we trust God, if we want to be beautiful, trust God and receive his truth. Know it. Grow in it. Do you, do you notice the progression here? It begins with trust, not information. If you trust God, then you will know the truth. You'll pursue knowledge of the truth. Have you ever had, think about the last year, don't use any examples now, okay? We're in church. Just think of an example. Have you had somebody that you don't trust tell you something true this year? Have you said something true to someone that does not trust you this year? How do they respond? How do you respond? If someone that you don't respect, that you don't have faith in, but they they bring you a statistic, or they bring you, and you're like, man, I don't know you. I don't care what your statistic says. The truth is It's just not nearly as powerful if there's no trust. So Paul begins with trust. First, trust God. We gotta learn to trust one another and then know the truth. There's a progression there. We move from trust into truth. Knowledge of the true truth, the capital T truth, God's truth. It it has to begin from a place of trust. Once Once we trust, once we have faith, we go on to pursue an ever deepening knowledge of God's truth. So these are the kind of the first two movements here. Again, we're in verse one of Titus, you guys get ready. Trust God, then know, grow in the truth. You start with trust and then you move to truth. Too many of us at Sojourn have stopped there. For for too many years of my life, I stopped there. I trust God and I'm gonna get smart. I trust God and I'm gonna read books. At Sojourn, And I'm speaking to my home team, man. I'm speaking to me. Most of this is my fault, okay? Uh, We've tended to favor words like grace over words like obedience. You know what I mean? We've We've been eager to say God loves you. And it's been more difficult for us to say, now follow me. We favored information over transformation. Is it easier to read a book about love or learn how to love somebody that's different than you? That's all I'm saying. Is it easier to read a book about forgiveness and have a tight doctrine of forgiveness or to forgive someone who's offended you and hurt you? So many of us envision a a spiritual holy life as one surrounded by books and Bible study. If your understanding of the Christian life is reading the Bible alone and praying alone, just know that that's not what Christianity looked like for like 1900 years. 
Thanks, Glenda. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't read the Bible. I'm just saying if that's our understanding of what is Christianity or what is the spiritual life, and it's growing in more information, that's a very recent phenomenon, and I would call it truncated. That's not what, so there's a progression here. I'm about to give the, the whatever, the giveaway. Trust God and then grow in the knowledge of God, which then Paul follows up and says, this is all, again, verse one, that shows them how to live, say it, godly lives. There's a progression. Trust God, know the truth, so that you will live a certain way. A beautiful church doesn't just believe a certain way. A beautiful church lives a certain way. We don't just have godly doctrine. We have godly lives. The goal of our knowledge, the the fruit of truth, is not winning arguments. It's godly living. That's relating to God, ourselves, and each other, and the world around us, creation itself, the way that God wants us to. So here's another way to think about it. Christianity is only beautiful when it's real, when it shows up in our lives. Would you rather have a tight doctrine of the sovereignty of God, or would you rather sleep at night? You see what I mean? We have all this information, but is it showing up in the way we live? If we want to be a beautiful church, then three words that we have to hold eternally together. I'm calling it the Trinity of Holiness, all based in one verse. Faith, which means to trust God. Truth, which means grow in God, grow in knowledge of God. And then godliness, which means follow God. You have to trust him, to learn about him, so that ultimately you live like him, you follow him. Take any one of, take any one of these out and you won't have the others. Any one of them, and you won't have the others. Trust God, pursue knowledge of his truth, and put it into practice in your real life. So that's how we become beautiful. Trust God, grow in knowledge of the truth, and live a godly life. That's how we do it. That is how we become beautiful. But if you notice, we haven't really gotten into what does it mean to be beautiful, though. How do we get there? Trust God. Have I said this enough times? Trust God grow in a knowledge of the truth, and live a godly life. To be real clear, we are not talking about buildings. We are not talking about programs. We're talking about beautiful people. The church fundamentally is a people organized a certain way to do certain things, whole humans becoming more and more like our Lord. If we want to know what a beautiful church looks like, here Paul gives it to us in verse 2. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Some ways, Titus 1.1 is a summary of the whole book of Titus, and Titus 1.2 is a summary of Titus 1.1. Faith to trust to godliness, what does that produce? One beautiful word, confidence. Confidence in what, specifically? That they have eternal life, that God promised them, Can you imagine what this confidence might look like? Not arrogance. This is not self-assurance or deep bank accounts. You know those people who feel like they're entitled to something or they will make a way for themselves? Biblical confidence is a life of power because you know all will be well. 
all will be well and all manner of things will be well. My eternal life is secured with God. He promised this to me and he does not lie. What might your life look like if you believe two things? God loves you and he'll never lie to you. You know that you got a whole book filled with promises. What if some of these were true? Remember one of the promises from last week? I will be with you always. Can you imagine how beautiful this kind of confidence might be in your life? Freedom. Can you imagine the power? What do I mean by power? The confidence, the willingness to act in your own life. What would you do if you, if you believed in the core of your being that all would be well and all manner of things would be well? What's the conflict or pain in your life that you're avoiding right now? Maybe go back to those reasons you have not to trust. What if you believed that God would carry you? He would be faithful to you, even if you're wrong and even if you're right. What would you face if you had this kind of confidence? Could you imagine who you would become if you were confident that your life was hidden with God forever? Verse three, Paul says, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. This message, this is the truth. Confidence can be yours. It's being announced to you even now. Your first response is to trust the message. What was the message? God sent his son. His name is Jesus. He sent his son to live for you, to die for you, and rise to show you that he does not lie. He rose. This is what the angel said to the women at the tomb. He rose just as he said he would. So trust him, learn of him, follow him. That's the secret of the beautiful confidence that is available uniquely to the Christian. We are not confident that we will make a way or become something great. We are not confident that we have skills equal to the task. We are confident because God has already made a way and he has promised his presence with us wherever we go. Whatever situation we enter, we enter into it with the presence of the risen Christ inside of us. We can move forward facing all the challenges before us with beautiful confidence because God has made a way and he will continue to make a way. You have eternal life hidden with God forever. There is nothing that you can't face. Notice I didn't say there's nothing you can't succeed the way you want to succeed. But this kind of confidence makes failure okay. If you fail, if it all blows up, if it turns out you are wrong, my life is hidden with Christ forever. My eternal life is secure. Is this not that big of a deal? I can own my failures and I can face the consequences of it. Let me try to make this just a little bit more practical for us or a little bit more concrete. So we've got... Trust moving to knowledge, moving to godliness. That pattern, that progression develops deep confidence in us that will make us beautiful. What would that look like a little more clearly? What would that look like boots on the ground? One of the first things that comes to mind for me is a beautiful church gathers every week, whether it's here in this room or online for as long as we have to. A beautiful church will be around each other every week. Why? Well, have you noticed that our weeks outside of this room are filled with anger, with hate, with division, with little t-truths that are competing with one another? Have you ever noticed, just search your own soul for a minute, have you ever noticed how you leave church feeling a little more solid, 
or, or like you have a little bit of better grasp on what, what's going on in the world, or you feel refreshed because you've heard something true about God, and then by Wednesday you're aggravated and agitated and confused. Some of you, what source gets the most minutes in your life? Whether that's talk radio, whether that's a podcast, whether that's cable news, what voice has the most number of minutes in your life and what are they telling you? For most of us, the voices we're hearing are not people that know us, that aren't people in our, in our real lives or in a real church community. And so then we gather, uh, a, a study came out just recently that said someone who identifies as a regular church attender goes to church 1.4 times a month. When my parents were young, it was, it was like 3.8 times a month. 1.4 now consists regular church attendance. We get yelled at all week long. We get conflicting information. We get people trying to convince us of what's true. And all those voices make it difficult to trust God. We have to become present with one another, whether it's physically present or online. You cannot have trust without presence. Have you noticed in the separation of the pandemic how easy it's become to become skeptical of your brothers and sisters? You haven't talked to them. You haven't seen them. Maybe you just saw the mess they posted on Facebook or on Twitter and how, how quickly that absence brings skepticism and cynicism. You cannot have trust without presence. So we gather as best we can to hear God's truth and be reminded of who he is. And if we do that, we will become a, a beautiful church that's filled with soft and willing hearts. Have you all seen that video of dogs online? There's a, there's a gate. There's four dogs, two on each side, and they're yapping at each other. You think there's blood in the water, and they're just going after each other. And then the owner opens up the gates, and the dog's like, no, I'm cool. They all stop barking. They all stop yapping. It closes the gate, and they all start barking and yapping again. When we're not around one another, have you noticed how hard it is to be angry? when you're around a brother or sister and you hear them pray? You know how hard it is to demonize somebody when you're in their presence, whether that's here or gathering online? Our weeks are filled with anger, hate, and division. Our weeks are filled with our own mistakes, our own losses, our own limitations. Did you notice the progressive nature of the words that Paul used? I will proclaim to them the truth. They would know the truth and live lives of God. These were all ongoing things, not just one momentary thing. And so if we can take this posture with one another, not only will we, we come into each other's presence, but we'll come into each other's presence with patience, understanding that we're all on some kind of progressive journey. We're all moving towards that life of godliness one way or the other. A wise parent doesn't flip out that their first grader isn't doing algebra. You follow? You understand what I'm saying? A first grader can do addition and subtraction. And maybe, maybe some of your fancy kids are doing like division or something. They're not doing algebra because first graders don't do algebra. Someone who's following, who's been following Jesus for a year probably won't love as well or as consistently or as faithfully as someone who's been following Jesus for 30 years. My, my point is we come to hear the truth of God together and learn to be patient with one another. Growing in the knowledge of truth requires patience. We know how patient God has been with us, so we're eager to be that way with each other. A beautiful church is present with one another, and a beautiful church is patient with one another. 
And then the, I did a third P, in case you all have forgotten that we're Baptists. A beautiful church is present with one another, is patient with one another. And then a beautiful church is filled with praise for God. We sing loud. We encourage often and forcefully. You know what I mean by forceful encouragement? Any, any of your friends are dismissive? Hey, you did great. <laughs> you know, or, or uh, can we stop saying things like, hey, I want to say something nice to you, but I don't want to puff you up. You, you know that phrase? I want to say something nice to you, but I, I, don't want, I want you to remember that you're a worm and terrible and God is disappointed and angry with you. What if we just, you know, it's, encouragement is a gift of the Spirit? I wish we argued about the gift of encouragement as much as we argued about the gift of tongues. What if we found deliberate, forceful ways? We looked him in the eyes and said, I saw what you were doing. You're doing meaningful, important work. Well, I got my vaccine shot, the first one. I looked at the nurse and I said, what you're doing is so important. I can't imagine how tired you are. I just want you to know I'm grateful for what you guys are doing. And this stranger nurse just started crying in the, car, in the door of my window. Do you know how depleted our culture is from lack of encouragement right now? You know, you know how lonely and isolated and frustrated and anxious. We courage awfully, often and forcefully because we worship a God that does not lie. We sing loud, even if we don't feel like it, because he's made promises to us. Thus spills out over into our lives. We become people who live, you know, a godly life will be a, a life of praise unto the Lord. Trying, here's another way to think about it. Trying to get Christianity right will exhaust your soul. You know what I mean? It's okay if you don't know what I mean because you'll, you'll learn over the next five or 10 years. If Christianity for you is solely a list of the things you should do and you should not do, you will should on yourself until you're exhausted. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. I should have said this. I shouldn't have said that. I should read my Bible more. I should, go, I should do this. I, should, I shouldn't have and you just keep shooting on yourself, and then you wonder why God seems angry to you, and disappointed to you, or someone says the G word, grace, or forgiveness, and you're like, well, that's not true for me. You live your life so rigid, worried, you're going to screw up. Trying to get Christianity right will make you impatient and untrusting, because the worst thing you can do is to be wrong, where Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you... Love each other. What covers a multitude of sins? Love. I'm not saying we should just like willy-nilly get stuff wrong or we shouldn't obey Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. The goal of Christianity is godly living where we love and we live a certain kind of way. God's truth is in service of those things. We need to put the emphasis on that as Jesus did. We don't move forward from cold duty, but warm delight. A beautiful church trusts God knows God, and then follows God because we want to. We desire that kind of life. Our study, our words of encouragement, and our lives of faithful obedience are all forms of praise to the God who has saved us. So when I say a beautiful church is filled with praise, I don't just mean loud singing on Sundays, though I, I do mean that. It means a life where we want to follow him because we're grateful for all he's done for us. A beautiful church trusts God knows the truth, and lives godly lives. We become a beautiful church by being present with one another, patient with one another, 
and producing lives filled with praise. I'm telling you the beautiful confidence that may be ours when we trust Jesus, know Jesus, and follow Jesus. The trials we could face with peace, the dreams we could pursue with power if we trust Jesus, know Jesus, and follow Jesus. This is why every week we end in the same way, this portion of our service at least, calling our minds to the night where Jesus was betrayed. This is what roots ourselves with this confidence. This is, this is where we ground ourselves in the promises and provision of God again. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He thanked God for it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which seals your relationship with God. Drink in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.